Welcome back to another pre-conference anticipation mini-episode. Today's guest, you've heard him as a previous guest on the podcast, as a winner of the Service Design Award, as a visitor of the conference, and this time as an organizer of the Service Design Global Conference. Welcome back, Chris Ferguson. Hey, good to speak to you again. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, Chris, I actually think it's already the fourth time you are on this podcast. Is that true? I think that's true, you know, <laughs> because I spoke to you minutes before the award ceremony, after the award, and then at the conference as a, you know, when I was a spectator. So, yeah. Yeah. I, and it's always a pleasure. And, uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I'm really excited you're doing this and, and so excited that you're going to be coming and joining us here in Canada. Oh, yes, we are too. <laughs> but could you maybe still introduce yourself another time for the listeners who uh, are listening for the first time to the podcast? All right. Well, my name is Chris Ferguson, and I'm the founder of a service design consultancy in Toronto, Canada, uh, which is called Bridgeable. And I also teach design at the University of Toronto. I teach in the, at the Rotman School of Management to business students and I also teach at the University of Toronto's Law School teaching an executive master's program in innovation technology in the law and my final role is as the co-lead of the Canadian chapter of the Service Design Network. All right. And uh, now you're going to you're one of the organizers of the uh, next Service Design Conference. How did that go about? How did you end up getting involved with organizing this conference? Well, we started our chapter, I believe, four years ago now. And for the last three years, we've been organizing and running a national conference. The first two years in Toronto, and then this past year, we ran a bilingual conference in Montreal. And when we started the local chapter and started the local service design group, we talked about this idea of having the global conference. And, you know, four or five years ago, this felt like a pretty far-fetched dream that we would actually be able to, uh, to host the, the global community here. Uh, it was still a fairly nascent practice here in Canada, service design. And uh, although over the last few years, as we've been running our national conference, there's been more and more interest and almost every industry, you know, from healthcare to financial services, telco and government, and you know, you're seeing service design jobs now pop up everywhere. And so there's been this real growth of the service design community here. And so last year we decided to submit a bid to be the host country and the host city here in Toronto. And they accepted it. So <laughs> now we're going to be hosting on October 10th and 11th here in Toronto. Oh, and uh, how is the preparation going? Is uh, the program is all set, I see. How is it coming to, to that point, making the decisions about who to invite, which selections to make? Can you talk a bit about that process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always challenging. You know, it's challenging when we do this nationally because there's there's so many great speakers and so much great content. That was only, you know, tenfold the problem, the challenge this year. So what we did is there was an open call for presenters and workshops. 
and we established a international group of practitioners that went through and vetted all of the different submissions. So there were a number of different you know, spreadsheets set up and we had representatives from different countries around the world that would go through and evaluate the quality and the novelty of the different presentations and, and workshops. And in a way that was really nice, it was great to have different people's point of view. It was done as a blinded process, so you didn't know the organizations that people were, were representing. So it was really based on the merits of what had been submitted and the, the quality of the, of the proposed content. So we went through, uh, there was, after that process of having the different international team evaluate, there was a, a top list of the top rated. And then it was a matter of going through and looking at things like, you know, gender diversity, international diversity, ensuring that we had representation of different kinds of topics and there wasn't too much overlap. And then again, ensuring that there wasn't too much from individual organizations. And then on top of that, there was a, a number of people who were contacted directly as invited speakers, including some of the, some of the keynotes. Yeah, I actually also went through some of the talks and uh, thought it was great to see so many different topics, but I thought it was only just one bit of the talks and it was already so difficult to, to choose. There were so many interesting topics that I was thinking like, oh, I would like to see that or, or this would be interesting as well. Yeah. So I can imagine it's a very hard process to go to and to make the, uh, the final, uh, final decisions uh, as a team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's seven tracks of content. So at any time you could be in seven different <laughs> locations and they're all such high quality. Uh, and in certain cases, there are things where either I'd invited them or, or it's something that's just really relevant to the work I'm doing right now. So I, you know, you feel this kind of, you feel really torn and you wish you could somehow, uh, uh, you know, attend multiple things at the same time. But Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I feel really good about the content and, and speaking to Alex and Jamin, who have, uh, are the organizers from the global uh, committee who have been organizing for many years now. I mean, they were really impressed and really satisfied with the, the quality and diversity of the content. So uh, I think it's going to be a great year. Did you also uh, look for uh, workshops and talks that were related to the topic of this year, like building bridges? And can you maybe also explain a bit more what this uh, topic means to you as a service designer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd first like to say the caveat that although I run a service design consultancy called Bridgeable, that that had no bearing on the uh, the name of Building Bridges. It was actually Alex Nesbitt who had recommended it. And uh, and it was only after the fact that he said, oh, you know, Chris, I realize that you run a consultancy with a bridge name. And, and I only realize it now when you say it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I am a big fan of the metaphor of Building Bridges. Uh, if you think about the work we do as service designers, we're often connecting between different stakeholders or different silos within an organization. You could be working with the, you know, the, the line of business or you know, the, the, the department that's leading things, 
the internal research group, the digital team, the team doing retail environments or call center, different, you know, all the different components of a service experience. So, so often our role is actually as that builder of bridges between uh, the, the different stakeholders. And so I think that's a position we're, we're used to managing. I'd also say we're often thinking about building bridges between the experience of the customer, the experience of the frontline staff, and then the, and then the, the management and the, and the kind of operational uh, elements. So, so there's that element as well is, is thinking about you know, who are the different uh, um, stakeholders and how do you balance their needs. Uh, so those are all really key components. But I would say the, the aspiration for the conference is that that ability for us to build bridges, that ability that we, that we play, the role we often play in projects, is actually can we be doing, doing even more of that in, in a world where there's so much polarization, where there's so much divisiveness and where technology is really you know, reducing the, the, our, our ability to, to collaborate, to cooperate, to, to negotiate with one another. Can we as service designers play an even more significant role in helping bring people together and co-create value? And uh, whether that's with different kinds of stakeholders or between the private sector and the public sector, um, how can we amplify our role as someone who brings people together and helps them co-create? Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, I'm sure that we as service designers have already some very uh, important skills here, like uh, being positive, problem solving, co-creating, but I also believe there are still some uh, gaps that we have in bringing different groups of people together. Do you th what do you think are like the biggest um, barriers we're still facing or knowledge that we're not implementing uh, yet? Bridges that we're still missing. <laughs> <laughs> Bilges, bridges, bridges to build. Uh, yeah, great, great, great question. Uh, I, you know, m my feeling on that is one of the big challenges I find for service designers doing work across these different kinds of stakeholder groups is that often different kinds of stakeholders have their own worldview or their own you know mindset and it could be you know the ways in which they measure things it could be the things that they value uh, it could be the the language they use to describe things their own terminology or their own you know kpis or key performance indicators that they use as a team or as a group and i think that the I think that our, our, because designers tend to be optimistic and we tend to be creative and we can often see the world the way in which we, we, we would like it to be, you know, we're, we're, we're idealistic in that way and that's, that's a great strength. I think that that can often be a challenge when it comes to working across different kinds of stakeholders where trade-offs have to be made. And I think that often those different mindsets are not compatible with one another and that there is in some cases there's just it's a it's a win-lose scenario you can't both parties can't win and i think that you know we we can do a better job of being 
explicit about where are the areas in which this this group is not going to to you know where where there's going to be losers and there's going to be winners so that that's one part of it i think that we often would like to think that everyone can get along and everyone can get everything out of mm-hmm. it and i think we're, we often don't like to to face those kinds of realities um, so that's certainly one i mean i would say the other is the, this tension around business metrics and more of this the, the logic by which organizations are managed and the kind of management the dominant logic of management and that only things that matter are the things that can be measured and the things that can be quantified and i think that that's a logic which is very different than the logic of design which looks at qualitative phenomena it looks at experience it looks at it uses creativity as a way to problem solve and i think that that the temptation is to try to make what's a qualitative creative process the almost the, that circle fit in the square of business you know to try to to change the ways in which design is practiced in order for it to 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 fit that logic and i think that often that comes at the cost of the the a lot of what makes design special and and i think really celebrating that it is different it's a different way of solving problems that's a different way of working and it has a lot of benefit and it can drive business value but the ways in which it's run the ways in which it's measured are different than how management is is traditionally organized and, and how it's taught and how it's practiced so that, so that's another area i think that designers thinking about how do we how do we then stand up for the craft of what we do and and connect with the business community in a way that doesn't compromise or or um simplify designed to being a series of steps that you go through you know well all i have to do is go through these five steps and check these boxes and then i've designed something and kind of it it takes away the craft and i think that the more we can be better at articulating the value articulating the difference between how these how these um, worlds work i think that's a bridge that that i think we've yet to cross when it comes to practicing design in business can we expect any of the sessions to to delve into these uh, topics are there any any uh, particular speakers that you are looking forward to for instance yeah absolutely i mean there's there's two that are are spot on uh, on this topic there is a one of the first talks uh, in the opening on day one is uh, dr josina vink which i don't know if you're familiar with have you no. to come across josina um so Josina is uh, recently became a professor at Aho the architecture and design school in Oslo and uh and looks at service design within healthcare that's her specialization um Jenny's uh, Josina's Canadian and and I know her from here uh she she did her PhD and uh and is now teaching in, in Europe and her work looks at the idea of invisible social structures. So if you think about when you do a design project, you could do really great research and you could come up with a really great artifact in the end, but if you didn't change the mindsets, if you didn't really understand the culture of the organization and and get people inside the organization to kind of come along and understand what needs to be done differently in the future, 
then after the project, they'll quickly revert to their old way of working and they'll destroy what you've created. <laughs> uh, so, so what her work looks at is how do you, how do we as service designers become better at understanding these social structures that are, are uh, the, the cultures in which our, our, you know, our clients or the organizations where we work? And how do you think about both understanding them, but also transforming them as part of the, the service design process? That's uh, interesting. I have a feeling that now often we are like, if you if we stay in the metaphor of bridges, that uh, we're building our own uh, service design island <laughs> often, instead of making it a bridge that we mm -hmm. uh, think that next to all the different um, parts of an organization, we have to put service design also next to it and also bring it in as a certain um, discipline. Uh, but I think it would be more interesting. And I, uh, how I hear you talking about her uh, presentation, I think, I hope she will explain that. But I think it would be more interesting if we indeed uh, understand more of the different parts of the organization and don't uh, always call it uh, service design, but just bring them together of course with our own tool sets but not putting another um another island uh, mm. next to it which sounds more easy than it is i would say mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. for sure for sure how do we actually facilitate that ability to co-create versus mm -hmm. create another another uh silo mm -hmm. inside another department inside of an organization that's adding contributing to the the issue yeah. um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also I think as as a service designer, you often you can feel that there is a huge elephant in the room somewhere, um, but you're not able to to find it. Um, there's things people are, are not talking about, and yeah, having a, a good way of dealing with and bringing those up would be would be very valuable. I think uh, it's something we do from intuition and experience uh, today. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like a really interesting topic. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And there and there's many other really exciting talks that I think are just very representative of this idea of building bridges. Uh, there's a, a talk that's going to be, the opening keynote is going to be uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jesse Wente, who is a broadcaster on the CBC, which is our national broadcaster here in Canada. And he's part of the, the National Council for the Arts. And he is Ojibwe, so he's a First Nations uh, native to Canadian. And he is going to talk about how art and design can be used as ways in which to bridge the cultures of more of the European and colonial cultures and First Nations cultures and how they can really bring out the best of, of both of them and really celebrate uh, uh, these cultures and, and as a way to work towards more reconciliation of how we can uh, work together as, as cultures, which is, a, which is a big challenge that's occurring here in Canada, given our historic treatment of, of First Nations people. Um, I remember several years ago uh, when the conference was in, uh, in Amsterdam, the, the the hosts they arrived on on bicycles uh, last year in in Dublin. Uh, there was a, an Irish uh, band who uh, came on the stage to wake everybody up. Are you going to be giving the conference a bit of a Canadian flavor this year? 
Uh, yeah, yes, although I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's going to be the there's going to be going to be a number of different uh, activities, and the location is going to be at a at a place called Evergreen Brickworks, which was a decommissioned uh, brick factory that you know produced many of the bricks of what built Toronto. Um, that's in a valley. A kind of forested valley that's been stored just outside of downtown. So, so I think that that idea of being in nature but being in the city kind of feels very Canadian, and in this kind of appreciation for nature, um, it's funny. We were, you know, it, it's it's hard to think about exactly. We we had this discussion about exactly what would we do at the beginning in order to uh, come up with something that's adequately Canadian, and. Um, I'm not sure what that is, and maybe as the deadline approaches, the pressure will lead to some creative thinking. <laughs> so, so you'll have to see when you get here. <laughs> Great. Okay, so the conference is in less than a month. Mm -hmm. What will the coming weeks uh, bring for you? What do you still have to? Uh, what do you still have to do before the conference? Will there be some uh, pre-conference rush still, or are you pretty calm <laughs> before everyone's moving to Toronto? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's the the the, the details around the logistics of things like signage and managing volunteers and managing the venue and some more of the the kind of behind the scenes elements of. Uh, how you know how, how the logistics will work at the event? Um, it's funny we when we run the la the conference nationally the last three years, uh, someone on our team uh, who I work with, uh, Maria Belanger, has created this experience uh, deck that walks through as if you were a participant going through the experience, and walks through all the different touch points of the of the experience. And so we're creating that to think about things like, you know, where's the appropriate places to put signs, how would the sign up work, um, how do we ensure that people can move easily between different uh, uh, locations of, of uh, talks and workshops. Uh, so we're working through a lot of those more uh, logistical details um, to make sure that it's that everything will run smoothly. And that we're staying true to our, you know, we're designing a good service experience, uh, which would be. You know how to do that, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of embarrassing if you can't pull that off for, for our own conference. So, so we're hoping that we can do that as, as seamlessly as possible. So it's a lot, a, a lot of those elements. And, uh, and then, you know, part of what I'm thinking about and the local team's thinking about as well is how do we ensure that we're you know, hospitable and gracious hosts when people come, uh, what are the ways in which we can help make people feel comfortable, uh, both in and like around the uh, conference, but, but also certainly while they're attending. And um, what are those little elements that'll just, you know, help people feel welcome. And, and, I, and, and I will say, you know, I, I remember my first service design conference was Berlin and I believe it was 2010. And I really felt something different about this community that they're much more open, they're much more collegial and collaborative than, than other uh, kinds of conferences and events had been to before. 
And so we want to ensure that there's that same sense um, is, uh, comes through when people attend the service mm -hmm. design conference here in Toronto. We previously spoke to uh, Shana Segal uh, and uh, asked her about some tips for Toronto. She uh, sent us in the direction of uh, the different Chinatowns and <laughs> where we could find some uh, good local foods. Um, do you have any tips for uh, people coming from outside of Canada to Toronto, something uh, they need to see outside of the conference? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean. Toronto is is really a, a city of neighborhoods, I'd say, and and I recommend people go to neighborhoods such as uh, Kensington Market, uh, which is a, uh, a neighborhood where there's all of these different kinds of food vendors and little grocery shops and nice little places to eat, but there's you know, there'll be a, a, you know, Tibetan place and then a Central American place and then a Jamaican place. Like it's really representative of the, the international spirit of Toronto. I think, I think Kensington's a great example. Uh, and it's, and it's a neighborhood that's, you know, you won't find any, uh, uh, it's all kind of small businesses that are there as well. So, so that's a great area to check out. Um, there's so many. Uh, there's an interesting neighborhood uh, that's called the Distillery District that was where all of the liquor was being produced and that was very uh, uh, built up during Prohibition in the U.S. when we were a major exporter of liquor across, <laughs> across the lake uh, to the United States. And so there's these, uh, you know, Buildings from the 1800s and 1900s, and and uh, and cobblestones and things that are unique from a North American point of view, and some some of the remnants of that uh, early industrial uh, age here in here in Toronto. Um, I would definitely recommend, though. I mean, there's there's an island right beside Toronto in the lake called Toronto Island that you can take a, a ferry to that has no cars and it, you know it's it's really you're right next to a city of five million people but you're you know all you can hear is birds singing and there's trees and so that's a pretty interesting experience um and then just north of toronto there are all of this these wonderful nature sites with you know literally thousands of lakes and forests and and uh, and just really abundant nature. So if people were coming from more than a few days for the conference, I'd recommend that they they head north to places like Algonquin Park, which is a, a huge uh, park that's you know bigger than some of the states in the U.S. It's you can drive to get in a canoe and five minutes later see a moose, see beavers, see you know a lot of wildlife, and uh, in that contrast of nature and and urban, I think, is would be a really nice experience for people, uh, particularly I think coming from Europe, where there's just not as much quick access to that kind of um, really dense, dense nature that's that's pretty intact. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, oh, we are both sitting here like, ah, we wish we would have more time in Toronto. <laughs> Unfortunately, only have the weekends, but uh, I think the island might be something uh, <laughs> we, we will be exploring. So uh, that's a good tip. And then, of course, all the food, uh, we have to try it. Seems to be a thing with uh, service designers and food. Yeah, when we yeah. ask what should we do in Toronto, everyone just names uh, what we should eat. So and well, we love that as well. Well, it's a funny <laughs> thing, you know. The they, Toronto's the most multicultural city in the world. It's uh, more than fifty percent of the people who live in Toronto are from different parts of the world, not even other parts of Canada. They're from like they're, they're they've, they've immigrated here, and so there's this really interesting. If you spend time and you walk around and you go to different neighborhoods, as I mentioned. So if you started on, you know, Queen Street West and went to the park and then you headed north, you could go through an area that's very Portuguese and Brazilian and then on Dundas Street. And then if you went a few blocks north of there, you'd be in an area that's very Korean. And and, and, and you can walk around and almost have this feeling like you're, you're in a transporter because you'll walk by and there'll be a, you know, a... a you know, like a, a Portuguese restaurant, everyone speaks Portuguese, it's very authentic. And then you walk a few blocks and then you're walked by a Korean karaoke place where everyone's singing and, Great. you know, and then you walk a few more blocks and you're in Chinatown and, and you can get authentic Chinese, you know, so you really, it's, it's really cool to be able to, and, and, and it's also excellent to be able to explore the food because you get all this amazing food and it's really like what what do you want to try you know do you want to try ethiopian do you want to try you know it's it's essentially every every culture in the world is here so so it's really a, a great playground for for your palate right it all sounds too great <laughs> so for the people who uh, who up until now have not yet got a ticket for the conference uh, are there tickets uh, still available mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's still tickets for the conference the uh, the members day event is sold out. Uh, it sold out a while ago, but there's still tickets for the main event, and uh, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty big capacity at this venue. So uh, I know there's already a lot of people coming, <laughs> which is great. But uh, but there is still tickets if people are interested. Great. Okay, so uh, having listened to Chris, I think uh, I'm sure a couple of people will be convinced definitely to come now. Um, Thank you, Chris. It's always good to uh, have a chat with you, and uh, I'm looking a lot more forward to the conference even uh, than before we talked. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm so glad, and I'm really excited to see you all again there, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to see you. Great. See you in uh, Toronto. Bye. Okay, sounds good. See ya. Bye. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight by Hydrogen C, featuring I Will, I Swear. Until next time.